Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Milwaukee. Start your engines. It's time to talk all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, trucks, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show with Steve Zaki, Dennis Michelson, and Laurie Monroe from Racetalkradio.com. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. Now, from the David Hobbs Honda Studios, it's Final Inspection on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Here's Steve Zaki. Welcome to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. A little soggy out there, but make sure you get out to Great Lakes Dragway before the snow flies. They will be open as long as the weather permits. And also our friends at David Hobbs Honda, make sure you get if you get a chance if you're in Glendale, make sure to check out the latest that they have in Honda's new and used cars and also their service department. And uh, if you're a NASCAR fan, this is the one you've been waiting for. Yes, it's the Alabama 500 at Talladega. Should be a lot of fun and uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of storylines this week, uh, Jeff. And uh, I think the neatest one that they had today was uh, if you if if you tuned in or actually last yesterday, uh, you see the video of uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. driving his daddy's 1977. It was a 77. Chevrolet Monte Carlo that he uh, won the 1980 uh, Winston Cup, his first uh, national championship in NASCAR in 1980. And uh, for for those who may be newer fans in the last uh, 10, 15, 20 years, you might kind of be kind of scratching your head like, hmm. And uh, it was a pretty interesting. Uh, it, it, there's there, there's a reason behind why why he was driving that kind of car and whatnot. Uh, in the in the late seventies, uh, GM and a lot of the manufacturers went through downsizing of cars, so the wheelbases were shrunk down, and all the all the people in NASCAR were saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, wait a second here!" But in NASCAR, what was kind of cool is you could run, and this is when the cars were truly more stock, especially the bodies. I mean, let's face it; they haven't been stock cars since the late fifties, but the the bodies were pretty well stock. I mean, they had stock bumpers. The hoods were stock. A lot of the components on the car you could right, you could get right from the factory, and they were you could run a body style for three years. Uh, case in point, the 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 very slippery aerodynamic Dodge Charger, which ran from 1971 through 74, those cars ran through 1977. The issue was in 1975, uh, Mopar Dodge. Uh, they changed the body style, the Daytona, uh, and uh, they actually kind of phased out the Charger, but because it, it, it was the Chrysler Cordoba, but fine Corinthian leather. So if you look up 1975 Dodge Daytona, it's going to look like a Chrysler Cordoba. One of your favorite cars, I know, uh, Jeff, the fine 
Corinthian leather. Hey, my f- my second car was a 1973 Chevy Impala. I love that thing. I got eight miles a gallon. It was a land yacht. One of those, you know, four full rotations to make a turn on the big <laughs> gargantuan steering wheel. That thing was beautiful. And uh, so that, the, the, the charger, the slippery charger, made famous by uh, Richard Petty, uh, Bobby Isaac, the 71 K&K insurance cars and whatnot, and many others. Those ran until 77. Well, uh, it's interesting. I mean, and actually, uh, I, what, what's nice, uh, what I like about Junior is he knows his NASCAR history. The, the car that he, he was, now, now this is where it gets to go. Talladega gave him a car. Well, it's from the museum. It's from the state of uh, Alabama. And if, you're, if it's from a museum, you just can't give cars from museums willy-nilly. It's a lot of tax implications and whatnot. And, and Earnhardt did say it's on, it's on loan. So probably what it is, it's, it's on an in, indefinite loan mm-hmm. to Dale for, for his collection. Uh, anyways, so that was a, a, a 77 Chevrolet Monte Carlo. It was funny, though, because before he took it out on the track, the one question he asked, do the oh, brakes work? Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's actually a legitimate question because a lot of the older cars and that, that is a – and if the car hasn't been run for a while, you know, you you don't want to be Dale Jr. and, and have an incident. So, that was a beautiful car, but, though. Yeah, that car actually ran was more of a short track car, though. Well, that but car because, he won at Bristol yeah, in that car. Yeah, right, because the car that they ran at the Super Speedways – uh, Daytona, Talladega, uh, Michigan, uh, perhaps Atlanta, a few others, uh, was the Oldsmobile Cutlass 442, uh, the 76 model, which had a little, uh, wedged, wedged headlight a little bit different mm-hmm. from the 77. So just a little side, uh, sideways in the NASCAR history here this morning, but we have the playoffs in full swing and of course we had charlotte last week and uh what was your opinion on charlotte jeff it was okay it was better than than most charlotte races in my opinion usually are so that was entertaining you know yet again it's the same old story mile and a half track you know truex is bringing home the checkered so it was you know very anticlimactic at the end but there was some decent racing in there uh, you had Kyle Busch just take one hell of a tumble in the points mm-hmm. uh, with all the different problems that he had, and uh, then he collapsed after the race and all that kind of kind of mess that went along with it. I thought it was nice. Uh, you had some teams. No, maybe you should, for people who may not have seen that, maybe you should kind of give them. Hey, he had, uh, you know, he had he some damage to his car. Yeah. What happens is, uh, even even today, uh, in that you get a lot of carbon monoxide in the car and whatnot, you get headaches. It, it, it's it's anybody who's who's run a stock car like that. It, it's real common when when the um, uh, side panels get bent. A lot all of those engine fumes and the heat and everything's coming right back into the uh, engine or into the uh, racing uh, cockpit area, and it's it just. It's, it does not make for a fun day for a race car driver. Yeah. So, you know, we're glad he's okay. But I thought one of the things I took away is that it was kind of a reawakening for Stuart Haas. Kevin Harvick had a lot of speed. Mm-hmm. He ran, he won the first two stages, finished third, ran in the top five all day long. And Kurt Busch, who was knocked out of the playoffs in the after the first round, he had amazing speed last week at Charlotte. But he lost so many positions on pit road. 
every time in the race against Pitt Road, he was losing four. He was losing five. He was losing six spots. But he would get, you know, he'd get two or three, four of them back on the track. But, you know, it was nice to see another team, uh, you know, besides, uh, you know, besides Truex and, and Larson and stuff like that actually show some speed and show that they might be able to make the playoffs somewhat interesting. Yeah, so Martin Truex uh, leads the playoff leaderboard at this point. Kyle Larson, not a surprise, in second. Kevin Harvick uh, starting to strut his stu- stuff, as you were saying, a little bit, is in, in, in third. Then Chase Elliott, a little bit of su- su- surprise. Uh, he was my pick. He ended up finishing second, so I think we did pretty well with our picks. Yeah, and I, I got to give you a ton of credit, man. I thought that after what happened to Chase two weeks ago that he was going to struggle for a couple weeks. You picked him, and uh, and you proved to be the wiser man, Steve. And then uh, Denny Hamlin in fifth, Kyle Busch uh, in uh, sixth, Jimmy Johnson. Uh, just just a down year for Hendrick. I think that's all it really is. I mean, it's you can't be numero uno every single year, and and for a down year, a down year for Jimmy Johnson would be a heck of a year for a lot of other drivers. It is, but I still, you know, we can call it a down year now. I still would not be surprised if he comes back and wins That's it true. all. Yeah. You know, and it, it's. Well, look at last year. Exactly. Because, I mean, case in point, a perfect example. Where the heck did he come from? Everybody buried him. Oh, Johnson's done. Mm-hmm. The season's over. He wins the championship. Jamie, Jamie McMurray, eighth, who who ran very strong throughout that race. Just yeah. Didn't really didn't get the result I think he deserved, mm-hmm. but was running very, very strong. Uh, Matt Kenseth in ninth, frustrating, very, very frustrating. We're going to hear from Matt Kenseth in the second hour. Uh, I get some thoughts on from him in the press conference earlier uh, this weekend. Uh, Brad Keselowski. Now this is interesting because Brad Keselowski. I think this is this could be a, or a make it or grip break it because all the all the all the uh, attention has been on Ricky Senhouse this weekend mm-hmm. and. It seems like whenever that happens, it, Ricky Stenhouse is not going to win at Talladega this weekend. No, he's not. Because there's been too much attention. Uh, Brad Koselski, four career wins at Talladega, uh, 10 top 10 in the last 17 starts. Not bad. That's pretty good. Yeah. And Fords have been very, very stout, uh, whereas in the past they have not been on the, on the super speed boys, plate racing, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Brad Keselowski could be that guy, and then you got a guy who's in tenth. Boom, he could be you know by the end of the day tomorrow, he could be in second. Yep. And then you got Blaney and Ricky Stenhouse. Ricky Stenhouse is you know what happens if uh, you finish the second? Can he or let's say he gets a good strong top three finish? Is that going to be enough? It depends on how Kenseth and and the guys at the bottom do. You mm-hmm. know if uh, if Stenhouse finishes second, but Kenseth finishes fourth. And a couple of the other guys, you know, Blaney finishes top five or top eight. You know, I think you could still be sticking the fork in uh, in Stenhouse before the next round starts. Should be interesting. We'll talk more Talladega coming up here after the break. And for those who are wondering, yes, I have a cold. Uh, and uh, last week, we uh, for, for those who might not know, there are times we actually have to pre-tape the show. And it's usually because of my travels. Usually if I'm at a race or something. And uh, let's say Tony DeZeno will be on the show in the second hour or, or, or that. We'll, we'll, we'll try and mesh up the, the schedules. And sometimes just because of our schedules, we have to pre-tape. 
And, and last week, it was actually a case of Jeff. Uh, we, we pre-taped because of Jeff. Because, uh, you know, I hope his head doesn't get too big. But I think he's a strong, <laughs> he's, a, he's a very uh, uh, strong point in the show here. And, and so I, I tell you, it worked out because I don't know what would have happened last week. Because I got about a food poisoning Friday night. And about this time one week ago, I wanted to die. It was, it was one of those situations where you just want to unzip your body, crawl out, and just leave it behind. I've had it once. I uh. never want to have it again. It was the closest I've ever been to going to, voluntarily going to the hospital. Yeah. I didn't, but I sure as hell wanted to. <laughs> it's brutal. Yeah, and then so I started to feel a little bit better for, uh, I think it was Tuesday, and then for, for about six hours I was like, hey, okay, I'm starting to feel better, and then I end up getting a cold. So boom! Now, so that's why you got the voice, the the deep baritone voice here. So the dark cloud of doom sure, is following you. Steve. I wasn't sure what voice I was going to have this morning because uh, last night I had the scratchy, irritating voice. Before earlier yesterday, I had, I had the deep, deep baritone voice. So it'll be interesting to see how long this thing holds out. So uh, it should be a fun show, though. Uh, yeah, and hopefully my voice won't crack either. So we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll talk. Uh, we'll kind of set the table here for Talladega uh, coming up in the uh, till the bottom of the hour, and then we'll have a sports flash. Then we have uh, Dennis Michelson and Laurie Monroe will f- give us uh, their feedback on the world of NASCAR, and it should be interesting. A lot of uh, good stuff from them. Um, and uh, then at, at one o five, we'll have Tony Dezino. We'll talk uh, IMSA and IndyCar. A lot of stuff happening in that side of the racing world uh, this week. So it should be fun talking to Tony. And then, like I said, I want to get a Matt Kenseth uh, press conference at, uh, that we're, we're going to pull off in NASCAR.com. Some really good stuff. Matt Kenseth, uh, always one of the better for uh, when he does a press conference. So it'll be a lot of fun today on the uh, Final Inspection Show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with our friends at David Hobbs Onda. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway. Uh, they might be racing out there tomorrow. Fun racing uh, is scheduled to be out there, and uh, tomorrow should be a little blustery, but I think the rain is ending tonight. So uh, make sure you check the website and their Twitter account to see if they are racing out there tomorrow. And uh, But they'll, they'll be open until the snow flies, so uh, make sure you check them out. They've still got some weekends. Uh, Indian summer should be coming up, Jeff, and... Uh, Lots of opportunities yet uh, to get out to Great Lakes Dragway. And also our friends at David Hobbs Honda. Make sure you check out our friends at 6100 North Green Bay Avenue uh, in Glendale and check out all the latest uh, that they have in uh, new and used cars and also their service department. Talladega this week, and uh, this is this is the one where, I mean, a lot of people love Talladega. Yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, they had uh, 
what's his name from NBC Sports, uh, Rupert or whatever his name is? Yeah. With the beard? Yeah. Who I've interviewed on the show here. We're both having dual brain farts I want to here. say Rupert. You know, this is where people are yelling. They're throwing stuff at the radio right now. <laughs> God, dude, look at those two idiots on the radio. They don't even know who. Don't throw a shake at your car radio. Your interior will thank me later. Yes. Uh, anyways, but, yeah, Talladega, you know, I just I always love Talladega. Um, I posted a thing on um, on our Facebook page. If you want to look us up on Facebook, we're at uh, TFI for the final inspection uh, show on Facebook. I got to say Tiny Lund. And uh, Tiny Lund was a uh, one of these great American stories. Somebody should make a movie about this guy. Neat guy. Uh, came up the, through Iowa. And a friend of mine, Bob McKee, uh, who helped uh, help get his start in racing? He's a he, he himself is a racing legend, going back uh, many many years, and uh, hit the NASCAR circuits in, in the fifties and sixties. At, at that time, it was mostly dirt tracks that they were hitting before the super speeders really set up. But for nineteen sixty three, uh, they did not he, Tiny did not have a, a a ride for the Daytona five hundred. And they were uh, they were running a, a sports car test for Marvin Panch. He's running, I think, a Maserati. And off the fourth corner, he had a tire blow or something. The thing got off the banking. And uh, with with those cars, that that style of car, um, when you come off the banking, if the car is a certain way, it's really easy to flip. And that's what happened, Marvin Panch. And as a lot of those cars did back then, it burst into flames. So Tiny just happened to be out there with a couple other guys, and Tiny's about 6'4", 265, and uh, there's this Maserati upside down with Marvin and Panch inside burning. So they run out there, and Tiny, and uh, with the help of the other guys, flip the car over, grab, grab Marvin Panch out, save his life. So Panch is in the, uh, in the burn center down at Halifax Hospital at Daytona, and Wood Brothers are in there, and, well, who are we going to you know put in the car? Well, let's put Tiny Lund in the car, so... And they put Tiny in there. He has a great duel with, I believe it was Freddie Lorenzo and him. And we're, I mean, we're, we're battling the Ford was the, the car to have that year. And a Tiny ends up winning the Daytona 500. That's awesome. And uh, he, uh, Marvin Panch eventually came back to the car. And they, Tiny you know, bounced around. And uh, I don't know if he, he might have won a couple other NASCAR races. I know he won what was then the Grand American Series, which at that time I guess you could loosely say it would, would be like the Xfinity Series. Uh, what that was back then, it was uh, shorter wheelbase cars. So it was kind of uh, their answer to the Trans Am series. Okay. Where they ran Camaros, Firebirds, Mustangs, and whatnot. And he was very successful in that. Um, and uh, But he still ran NASCAR races back and, uh, off and on. In 1975, they were running a uh, race at uh, Talladega. And Tiny's running it. And Tiny at that time was uh, a bit long and not long in the tooth, but you know, his better racing days were behind him. But was still a competitive driver, still had the respect of, of 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 the rest in the garage area. Fortunately, and back then they still had the big. You would still have the big one at Talladega, but it was they didn't have as many of them as they had uh, today. And unfortunately, uh, there's a big one coming off of I think turn two, uh, in, in at Talladega in '75, uh, and tiny spun. Uh, driver's side was exposed, and before the days of spotters and whatnot, got T-bone, and unfa- unfortunately uh, died of injuries 
uh, in that crash. But Tiny Lund is one of these guys that, that when I think of Talladega, I think, that, unfortunately, I think of the bad side. But there's a lot of good stories there, too, at Talladega, uh, like Richard Brickhouse. Uh, for the first race, and they're in 69 um, in the fall, they were having issues with uh, tires. And uh, this is what this is a you know situation where you know where, where you have all this technology in racing in, in the late '60s, and some technologies were ahead of the others, and it was ahead of the. Uh, if you ever look at uh, movies, old movies, and that, they were doing a lot of blowouts back then because the tire technology wasn't keeping up to the cars, especially in NASCAR, where you had these heavy, full-bodied cars, and uh, the guys were the guys were having issues with their tires. And uh, kind of all the big shots, uh, Bobby, I- Bobby Isaacs, Richard Petty's and whatnot, kind of got this together and said, hey, we're not running at Talladega. It ain't safe. Well, Big Bill France goes, it's not safe. I'll show you it's safe. He gets into a great national car, an old Ford. He goes out there. Next thing you know, there's Bill, Big Bill France, I think, ran 180 at Talladega. <laughs> and I, I can tell you right now, Brian France ain't doing that today. No. <laughs> and, and and Big Bill's doing it in his, uh, uh, I think there's a shot of him in his short sleeve shirt, tie, and just with a, a helmet on. That's awesome. That's that's, that's the, awesome. That's the difference between uh, Big Bill and Brian France today. Stones. That's that's stones, onions, well, whatever you want to call it. So the, guy, the guys go out and say, all right, well, well let's go have a race. So what they did, a lot of guys still said, no, we're not racing. Petty and a few other guys said, no, no, we're not going to race. So what they did, they those Grand American cars I told you about, they were running that weekend too. So they threw them in the back and they had a race. And Richard Brickhouse ended up winning that race in the number 14 car. I think it was uh, Daytona. And uh, it it's uh, from there, I mean, I think they went on for the through the 70s, I want to say through maybe the late 70s, I don't think they had a repeat winner until maybe Daryl Waltrip, don't quote me on that, but it was a new winner. It was a not unusual for guys, one-off drivers, or one-off wins to happen at Tal- Talladega. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking uh, James Hilton is one guy. Dick Brooks was one guy. Lenny Pond was another guy that won uh, at Talladega. And uh, there's Quite a few others. Uh, uh, Phil Parsons got his only win at Talladega. So, um, and when Brad Kowalski won there, there's a lot of people thinking, "Oh, who could it be?" And I'm thinking, "No, no, Brad. Brad will win another race. See, this kid, this kid's got talent." But yeah, there's a lot of guys who had their one and only win at, at Talladega. So it, it it holds a lot of memories for fans. And, and um, Rupert, no, why am I saying Rupert? Guy at NBC. Yeah, I can't. I can't think of his name. <laughs> there, there goes the stuff flying through at the car at the car radio. <laughs> Anyways, uh, he he did a nice thing down Talladega Boulevard and what you know what the what, like a fan walk type thing, and uh, Talladega Avenue. It's one of a tell. It's if if you're gonna go camping at, at at one of the places at a NASCAR race, a lot of people still say Bristol for the uh, summer race is, is the best, but I guess if you just want to do straight party and Tal- Talladega is definitely up there. Yeah. You know, I've got a neighbor. He's been down there almost, uh, I, I want to say he left Tuesday and all the store. I've never been to Talladega. That's, 
Uh, Talladega and the Bristol Night Race are are two that I want to go to. The problem, you know, I don't mind if with Bristol if I just get there a day early and leave a day after. Uh, Dega, I want to spend a good four four days, five days oh, yeah. down there. I heard it's just an amazingly crazy and wild time, which sounds right up my alley. Yeah, it it, it is something. It, it you know, I just, I just, it would be really cool to have another kind of first time first time winner again this year. Yeah, you know, it would be nice to see. Who do you think that would be your guy who, who could? Eric Jones. Yeah, but he's going to win again, though. Oh, you mean, like, okay, yeah. so like Michael McDowell. Oh, that would be a good one. You know, uh, Matt D. Benedetto. <laughs> I should give you props for saying the word right. Corey LaJoy. <laughs> now, come on now. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> Kurt Shelmerdine. <laughs> he, he, I think he won a couple of Arca races there in an ex-Earnhardt uh, car. Uh, another news, if you haven't heard, Christopher Bell will run full-time next year for Joel Gibbs Racing in the Xfinity Series. Not a surprise. Uh, this kid's a Toyota driver through and through. Came drove Toyotas and the Midgets for USAC and whatnot. Came through uh, uh, K&N and then uh, Truck Series. He's looked good, and uh, this kid is... Uh, He'll he'll be he'll be in cup in two years, if not. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Two yeah. years. So who does he who does he who is he bumping? Eleven car? Well uh Hamlin? Probably. Probably. You know, he's he's definitely on the fast track. He won the pole for the truck race today at Talladega. He's he was in third place uh four minutes ago when I when I checked and we've got got it on on one of the ABC audio video flat panels here in the, in the studio. Uh, so yeah, he's definitely, you know, two years tops. He's going to be rocking full-time cup. Um, you know, I, I could see, I could see him taking out the 11. I could see Hamlin moving somewhere else. Uh, you know, Hamlin, you know, he has like last season, he was really, really good. And then, you know, he struggles and he is so many ebbs and flows with him. He's not, consistent top 10 right. driver yeah it's because i'm wondering you know kyle bush does kyle bush uh, where's he going does he start his own team does he you know he's got so much you know he he runs the truck series so you know well, he uh, wants those 200 wins well yeah but and he knows he has to do it through bush Joe Gibbs. Yeah. I, I don't see Bush going anywhere. I think Bush will be a Gibbs lifer because I, you know, I don't see him opening his own cup team until he retires. I don't think he wants to drive for his own team. It'll be interesting to see the, the if it's viable for a lot of these guys to do that, though, because I thought there would be a lot more drivers that would be you know, in the in 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 the Cup Series as a driver, and there aren't. Well, you know, you've got guys. You know, Harvick had KH KHR. Uh, you know, he he well, had. His there ex- was something else going on there. So, well, they shut, shuttered the doors on right. that. Keselowski shuttered the doors on his truck team. Now, um, it's not really a viable deal to run. I mean, it's it. You know, in the past, you could if if 
if you were if you did it if if you were in a position of I don't want to say power but in, in, in a bit you knew a lot of people you could call in some favors you can get some sponsorship you were gonna at least break even yeah but okay and I don't think you can break even doing it anymore you can't and a perfect example is look at Richard Petty you know no one has more cachet in the NASCAR garage or around NASCAR than Petty and he hasn't been able to field a competitive team in in 15 years. Well, and it's basically not even his team. I mean, he's just a big, a figurehead there to help bring in sponsors at this point. Yeah, you know, it uh it, it's very disappointing. And his, his his hands-on thing is a bunch of guys who restore, you know, hot rods. That's what they're doing at the old shop. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really sad. Uh Talladega playoff history, and this is interesting. I, I was really surprised by this one. Uh, seven playoff races have been won on last lap passes at Talladega. All other playoff tracks combined, zero. <laughs> yeah. I was really surprised they even put that on NASCAR America yesterday. Yeah, I know. I know you'd think they'd try to bury that stat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and five non-playoff drivers have won at Talladega, most of any playoff track. That makes sense. Because yeah, this is, uh, you know. It's a free-for-all. It's a, Oh, you should have had that song. should have had that song queued up. Yeah. Uh, four playoff drivers eliminated at Talladega who entered holding a transfer spot. And this is the big one was 2014 with Casey Kane. He was sitting in the catbird seat. <laughs> and it went... <laughs> It within uh, you know a thousand feet. I mean that was, I don't want to say embarrassing, but it was. I, I mean you're like, oh my god, there it's the season just went. You know, I mean it was. It's been a while since we've seen somebody, you know, crap to bed like he did. The only other it wasn't finish, really his fault either. Just everybody gained up on him. He just, yeah, you know the only other finish like when I saw that when Harvick won the Daytona 500. When Mark Martin had that oh, huge lead. We had a huge discussion about that with Sparky Summer. Everybody's wrecking behind him, uh, and here comes Kevin from, like, eighth place. I told, I, I said Mark Martin should have drove Harvick into the stands. Of course he should have. And he didn't. Of course he should have. I was very disappointed. I said there are certain situations you have to drive, drive like a hole, and that was one of them. Yeah, well, I'll tell I you. I don't endorse it, but that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah, you know, for because you don't know when that's and, and especially with him where he was at his career, mm-hmm. you know, and this, there's a young whippersnapper coming up. That car is going right, and it's 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 right out of Days of Thunder. Yeah, <laughs> I would have if yeah. I was him. Yeah, you know, it. Uh, yeah, I would have put him. He was driving the Viagra car at the yeah. time, so I would have put him hard into the wall. And, and our brain fart, <laughs> our brain fart name we're trying to remember, Rutledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I even got into a Twitter spat with him, but we we made we made up. We kissed and made up. Oh, me and Rutledge. Yeah, back on the Christmas card list yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, so Talladega should be uh, a lot of fun, and uh, we're going to talk to a network, Dennis and Michael, Dennis Michelson, Laurie Monroe coming up next, and uh, it, it should be a lot of fun with them. And if I can just remember where my little cheat cheat here is and it is not uh but it should be a lot of fun and uh what you are listening to the final inspection show brought to you by the legendary great lakes dragway in union grove along with her friends at david obsonda 
welcome back to the final inspection. 105.7 FM, the fan. It's time for your NASCAR segment. That means it's time for Dennis Michelson and the lovely and talented Lori Monroe from Racetalkradio.com. And Lori, the playoffs continue. Yeah, they continue, and they're going to a track where anybody can win, allegedly. And it's going to be pretty exciting. I'm just glad it isn't the third race in this middle, I, I guess, what do you call it, a segment? You don't even, no, that's the that's the races. The races are in segments. What do you call this part of the uh, the playoff slash chase? We're race number in, two? We're within the round of 12. We're the middle race in the round of it's, 12. Is that what they call it, a round? Yes, and we're okay. we're trying to determine oh we're trying to determine who qualifies for the round of eight. Oh, every year, every year, it's different. Last year, it's so and so nation, and it's the chase, and now it's the playoffs. <laughs> yes. It really, honestly, I am I'm getting to the point I'm overwhelmed. You know, I was watching the the Xfinity race. It's no longer the Nationwide Series. I was watching the Xfinity race from Charlotte last week, and the guys doing the commentary up in the booth, they could not even get anything straight. They were confused when it comes down to, because it was their elimination race, they were coming. They were so confused as to how the points were stacking up, who was going to be eliminated, who has to finish where in each race, when it's so confusing that the guys that are supposed to be painting this big picture for us, when they're confused, how on earth is a simple-minded person like me supposed to keep track of everything? It's really to the point. It's way, way, it's overblown. There's way too much going on, too many moving parts. A few years ago, NASCAR made this big change of the point system. And the whole idea was we're simplifying the sport. So people yeah. from outside of the sport can understand it. Oh, could, good luck. <laughs> could you imagine Ugh. being like a football fan that was upset because the, the players were kneeling and you're looking for something else to do on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon? And you go ahead and you listen to this and you're trying to comprehend. And these guys are talking about a race that's in segments with segment yeah. points. And, oh, if you win the segment, you get a playoff point. But if yeah. you don't win the segment, then you get a point that goes towards your point total that will help you in the playoffs. I could only imagine that after about five minutes of listening to this simple system that takes the announcers 10 minutes to explain it every time, that you'd be sitting there changing channels and maybe trying to learn how to crochet or something else. Because but, but the announcers are confused themselves. So, oh, yeah. you know, new the new the new fans are confused. The old fans are confused. It's oh, not yeah. easy. And then on top of that, you throw out terms like PJ1 on the track and people are going, "Who's PJ?" Who's PJ? Did they forget the B? Is it supposed to be PBJ on the track? What is going on? PJ Jones. Maybe he's oh, making a comeback. It is so confusing. I remember when yeah. the toughest thing you had to learn as a fan was the difference between loose and tight. And now yeah. you get all these terms thrown at you. You get all this other crazy things. And, encumbered. Oh, yeah. Encumbered finishes. <laughs> Okay, Lori Monroe, something's been perplexing me all week, and I need you to explain it to me. 
There's a rule in NASCAR that says that you cannot work on the car when it is out of the pit box. There is another rule in NASCAR that states that you cannot take equipment outside of the pit box. Can you explain to me why Jimmy Johnson didn't get a one-lap penalty for pitting the car outside the box to fix that last lug nut? Yeah, I don't know. I think they're calling it a safety thing as well, and I don't understand it either. There should have definitely been a penalty. This is so bizarre to me because every week that you go to a race, watch a race, there's some rule that seems to be broken and there's no repercussions for it. Is there any any question why fans are riled up over rules and NASCAR and people breaking rules, meaning NASCAR breaking their own damn rules? It is really weird. It it makes you very confused. You lose confidence. You lose confidence in their judgment. You lose confidence in everything that's going on. And once that happens, everything else just sort of falls apart. And sadly, this is what we see happening. I can't explain it. I'm sorry, I can't. The rule is black and white. The rule states that if you work on the car outside of the pit box, it's a one-lap penalty. It's a severe penalty to discourage guys to do this because it is a safety factor and all that. And this coming on top of a couple of weeks ago where they basically gave the death penalty to Chase Elliott with this huge encumbered penalty for Mm -hmm. a guy adding a piece of tape to the back spoiler when that isn't specifically in the rules. So here you have a rule that is broken and then a rule that is made up. Two weeks difference. And maybe the difference is that it's Jimmy Johnson versus Chase Elliott. I don't, know. I don't know. And then you look at uh, a couple of weeks ago, the, the gas man, the fuel man, putting one foot down when he didn't have a can in his hand. You know, stuff <laughs> like that. It just really, really makes you scratch your head. Yeah, you just almost wonder who's in charge at NASCAR some days. But just very, very bizarre. And, uh, yeah. you know, I've been a big critic of this change for next season to add the Roval at Charlotte Motor Speedway instead of racing on the regular track. Yeah. After, after yep. what we saw Sunday, bring on the Roval. <laughs> you have a rule package right now where you basically clean air is worth about two seconds. For sure. So adding the Roval, it might be a joke, but at least it'll give us something to talk about. It'll be different, and that's all it's going to be, because you know there's going to be the same set of bizarre circumstances going on. It doesn't matter what what configuration of track they run. Something crazy is going to happen that's going to make you scratch your head and question, you know, people's people's eyesight, if anything. Yeah, very crazy indeed. And now we're going to Talladega, speaking of crazy. And there's about three or four guys at the bottom of this elimination format that almost need to win to get in. There is such yeah. a weird disparity with these points, though, that even guys that are like Chase Elliott's position where he's fourth in points right now and not locked in, it almost looks like he would need a win to guarantee something because everything is so close. This is the only good thing about changing points and changing the system every year is that you have no idea 
what the right mm -hmm. strategy is going to be. Yeah, it sort of messes up any strategy you have, you know, coming from the year before and going in and, and how to plan anything, which I hate it as a traditional race fan because I love the fact that uh, a crew chief could have books of notes from years and, and go back on stuff and see what they did. And now everything's just thrown to the wind because every year it's a different, it's a whole different kettle of fish for everybody. And that's, that's nuts. You know, some new people probably think, Oh, it keeps it fair. You know, everything has to be fair because everybody's cheating and everything has to be fair. Wow. 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 It just drives me absolutely nuts. This is stock car racing. This is stock car racing. And one of the joys of stock car racing was watching guys be innovative. We used to use the word innovative. We didn't call them cheaters. They were innovators. Exactly. Yeah, they don't understand. I, I they, they must have took that word out of the dictionary for the younger people because it doesn't exist. They don't. Yeah. Maybe they don't know what it means. I don't know. Just like they wouldn't let the announcers mention the words clean air last week on the broadcast. It was crazy mm -hmm. stuff. All righty, folks, it is time for us to step out and take our first break of the afternoon. But when we come back, the return of Milwaukee's favorite segment. Yes, indeed, folks, we're blowing up somebody still. You're listening to The Final Inspection, 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection, 105.7 FM. Dennis and Lori on a Saturday afternoon. You know what that means, folks. We're going to be bringing you some great music and the best sing-along possible. Everybody now. Wait, wait. Ah, sing-along with Carbon Supersport. It's our favorite time of the day to blow up somebody's NASCAR still. Laurie Monroe, we've been off for yeah. a couple of weeks. So uh, let yeah. folks of Milwaukee know all about our still blowing segment, please. Absolutely. If something has upset you in the week of racing, we are here to blow it up for you. So head over to racetalkradio.com and you can fill out the form there or send us an email. Let us know what you want blown up and we just might include you in our weekly still blowing, just like we have Patrick this oh, week. And nice. Patrick has sent me a message, an email saying the still he'd like to blow up is the people assuming that Martin Truex Jr. had a subpar car or was sandbagging the whole race until the end when he won. He says anyone who's watched or followed NASCAR or follows racing knows teams and drivers don't always have the setup that they hit on every time and the cup races are long and the teams adjust and they know how to track changes so people just back off you know they they worked on the car and they won when everything was said and done so that's what patrick has to say very good now my my still blowing is it comes down to all these yellow walls at charlotte oh love the God. yellow walls i always have what i don't like is the fact that whoever's painting these walls now is spraying over spray all over everything that it's on the track. It goes from the, the, the wall down to the track. You can actually see it and any place where they don't really show a lot with the camera. It's basically like this yellow stuff was crop dusted all over everything. It really looks horrible. And I posted this on Facebook. You might've seen it and somebody chimed in that they were actually uh, part of the company that originally painted 
the walls gold back when I guess it was Sprint and that they had just a few days to change it back to white and there was never any overspray when they did it. And now apparently Charlotte is in charge of doing this themselves. So that's where all this overspray is coming from. It just it just irritates me that this overspray is all over everything. There was one area down like between the entrance to Pitt Road and Turn 4 where it looked like they ran some equipment through the overspray while it was still wet because you could Not see crazy. Little, little pieces of of yellow painting on yeah. the surface and of course as the weekend went on it got covered up with all the uh, rubber marks but still you're right that overspray was disgusting and and for Patrick still my goodness folks they put so as the traction compound went away his car stayed the same but everybody who was using the compound got worse my still blowing this week has to do with one of the NBC announcers and oh, Lord. when I say that, I leave it wide open because <laughs> there's so many NBC announcers that I could have picked on this week, <laughs> including Dale Jarrett saying the second place finisher has already run into the wall, which was yeah. echoed exactly by Rick Allen. But that was not nearly as as egregious as the the line by Clinker Pargelman. And why this guy is a pit road specialist when guys like Mike Massaro and others are out of work right now is beyond me. Maybe he's working for minimum wage. But he raves about the fact that this is the first time in Jamie McMurray's long career in NASCAR that he's made it to the round of 12. Okay, how many years have we had the round of 12? Unbelievable. Yeah. We've only been doing this elimination thing for a few years, so it doesn't matter whether you're Jamie McMurray, who's been in the sport for 10, 15 years, or some new guy that's only been in it for two or three years. You've had the exact yeah. same number of chances to make it yeah. to an elimination round because they haven't been eliminating people for too long. So Clinker Pargelman... That's almost as bad as saying that Red Byron was the first Monster Cup champion. Unbelievable. But, Lori, this week, it's not even a contest because your overspray has to win. This yellow paint, yeah. It it was just, uh, you know, be tidier. Be tidier. Put, you know, tape something off. There's actually sprayers that are so accurate there's no overspray whatsoever. So I don't know what they were using. They must have had a bunch of people using the, the mouth blow paint or something. It uh, it just looked, I don't know. I just don't like the mess. I think it was a Wagner power sprayer in a 40-mile-an-hour wind yeah. while it was raining. Unbelievable. So oh. for the overspray at Charlotte Motor Speedway, send in the bomber. The sweet sound of explosions on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, Well, well, folks, before we wrap things up, it's time to talk a little bit of NASCAR news. How about this for a cool way to celebrate the last race by Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Martinsville, then have his wife, Amy, drive the pace car. I love that story. 
Yeah, I think that's fantastic. What a great opportunity for her as well, though. I think it's, uh, I think it's great. Things that, you know, I, I heard Junior interviewed over this past week, and and we knew this before. He doesn't want to be given things that just collect dust. So to to honor him in 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 ways like they're doing, some of the tracks have been doing. I think it's just been fabulous. So to have his wife uh, uh, lead the field around, I I think that's fantastic. I was so happy to see that because she is, first of all, from what I've seen, you know, with this lady, she just seems to be a cool person. And it, this is going to mean a lot to both Dale and Amy to get and this And her, honor. yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's the cool part about this. So way to go, Martinsville. You guys have so much in the way of great traditions. I've always said it's like you know, going back in time to see how NASCAR used to be whenever you go to see a race at Martinsville. But once again, track management at Martinsville does a fantastic job. I'll even forgive you for changing the hot dog a few years ago. (laughs) Also in the NASCAR news, in the junior news, how about this? At Kansas Speedway, the first 19,000 fans in attendance will get a commemorative Dale Jr. pin. I guess if you did that at an Xfinity race, you'd be good for the whole season. Yeah, you'd have a whole bunch left over, definitely. What, so what's the significance of 19,000? Okay, so there is a significance. Kansas Speedway explains that they picked the number 19,000 because Dale Earnhardt Jr. has been in NASCAR for 19 years. So why don't they just give out 19 of them? Why the, why the thousand? Make it even more special. Why not give a pin to... With, with, with these people go home and they list it on eBay, they're going to make more than $7. Yeah. If you're going to do 19000 and you're expecting to draw 60000 to the race, why not just give everybody a pin? Everybody gets a pin. You get a pin. You get a pin. You get a pin. You get a pin. Amy gets oh. a pin. Junior gets a pin. Why not just give everybody a pin? I thought that was the most ridiculous thing. In fact, Kansas Speedway, if it wasn't for Clinker Pargelman, you would have gotten blown up this week. (laughs) What a lame excuse. They probably go. Here's what it was. They probably got a special rate for ordering 19,000 of them. And got a sprint. And got a (laughs) Exactly. And they got a special card in the mail. And now the good news is the next driver that re- that goes ahead and retires, they can do a commemorative pin because they'll get that 25% off thing from Vistaprint well, as well. So they'll be Absolutely. Well. They probably got their big bonus email already. Oh, my goodness. But what a <laughs> lame number to come up with. That's funny. That is funny. Yeah, anyway. Also in the NASCAR news, bad news for Hendrick Motorsports. LiftMaster will not be renewing their contract with the team. They sponsored Casey Kane for four races this year, didn't see the value, and have run away. Lori, I'm really concerned about more and more sponsors leaving. We've already seen Target leave, and now another uh, smaller sponsor leave. It's getting a little bit scary for the NASCAR drivers and the teams as they're going to take a big hit on their purse money from the from the sponsorship from Monster next year. Are they also going to be able to survive losing more sponsors like this? 
Yeah, it is really, really hard to watch this because even, you know, in the past couple of years, you've had teams having to sponsor their own cars. You just look at the, the Furniture Row car. You look at this whole monster deal with uh, with Kurt Busch as well when, you know, when that was going for this year. I know it's screwed for next year. I don't know. I don't know where this is going. People don't seem to be, or I should say companies, don't seem to be seeing the value in investing in NASCAR. So when you've got their uh, the series sponsor cutting back the way that uh, it's going to happen, I just I just don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with the future. Look at Danica Patrick. It was great she had her Warrior brand on her car last weekend, which got totaled. But still, it's just... It's just not the way it used to be. My God, you used to have this rolling banners of 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 sponsors just lining up and happy, and and now it's like people are staying away. They, they they're using a ten foot pole staying away. It's 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 scary. Could be a very scary time for NASCAR in the future. Yeah. Speaking of scary times, it's time for the Talladega race predictions. Go ahead and spin your big prize wheel and see who you pick this week to win at Talladega. Well, I spun my wheel, and I'm going to say that uh, he's coming back and he's going to win again. It's going to be Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Wow. That is a great prediction. I am going to go old school prediction on mine that the Wood Brothers and Ryan Blaney will end up in victory lane this week. So two, that would be nice. Two bold predictions of young bold. drivers breaking through for the big victory. Thanks for That's tuning in. That's what we in. do. That's what we do. Thanks for tuning in to the NASCAR segment on the Final Inspection, 105.7 FM, The Fan. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk all things racing, NASCAR, IndyCar, trucks, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show with Steve Zaki, Dennis Michelson, and Laurie Monroe from Racetalkradio.com. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. Now, from the David Hobbs Honda Studios, it's Final Inspection on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Here's Steve Zaki. Back to the final inspection show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with our friends at David Hobbs Honda, 6100 North Green Bay Road in Glendale. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it's my pleasure to bring Tony DeZeno from NBCSports.com onto the show. Welcome. welcome. Hey, Z-Man. Hope to bring a little sunshine on a rainy Saturday for you. Yeah, it's a little dreary. Uh, good, good, good football weather, I guess. As the Badgers good, roll good off for, here a little yeah, bit. Good for indulging in the little football inside and all talking some uh, talking stuff here. So, Road Atlanta, tell us about your uh, your little trip down there. Yeah, just um, was down there for the uh, IMSA season finale last week. Uh, the uh, WeatherTech Championship, most of its championships were uh, pretty much set going into the weekend. The Taylor brothers won the uh, prototype and overall championship. 
uh, Christina Nielsen and uh, Alessandro Balzon won GT Daytona. The Corvette pair, Jan Magnussen and Antonio Garcia won that title. And then uh, Wisconsin, Sheboygan, Wisconsin's finest, uh, James French and uh, Pato Award won the PC title. But none of those guys had good races. Um, the Taylor guys had a mechanical. The PC guys got crashed out, lost their perfect season. Corvette guys were second. And the Ferrari had all sorts of issues, starting with crashing into Elio Castroneves off the start, um, had to go behind the wall for uh, other repairs, and only finished ninth. So we're left with a situation where the uh, – Kilo Patron guys, uh, the Nissan team, they won it overall with uh, Brendan Hartley and Ryan DL and Scott Sharp. And in the week that's followed, um, pretty much all any of or all of those uh, drivers have become other stories in other series or other teams. So uh, we we had we capped the season, and it didn't feel at all like a season finale. It started. It almost felt like a, a start of things to come for the rest of 2017 and into 2018. Yeah, we'll we'll come back to Brandon Hartley in just a second. But um, if 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 I'm an IMSA prototype team, how scared am I of Team Penske, who really hit the ground running? This is kind of just kind of let's kind of shake the dust off our shoes here. We haven't run prototypes in five five six years, whatever it's been, and let's just kind of do a little test session here. Boom, they end up on the podium. Yeah, ho-hum, right? I yeah. mean, the, the car has been rebuilt after a, a testing accident. Castroneva sticks it on the pole. Uh, they complete, you know, they go from saying, oh, our driver changes are comical, but they're obviously they're obviously good enough at them because they, they stayed out of trouble once they avoided the, the comeback, getting hit early on. They finished on the podium. And the difference here is this wasn't with their Acura prototype that they're going to run next year. This is with a, a global P2 car, an Orica. So what that means is it's kind of a car that's open to anybody. And I think that showed the performance of what that car can do in a team that, that shows up. You know, for the rest of the IMSA paddock, wrote about this in a column earlier this week uh you know there's a there's a really good level of preparation for pretty much most of the teams on the IMSA field but then Penske comes in and it's like oh boy there's the, the from the optics the presentation the the performance the, the hitting the ground running this solidly uh it, it might send shockwaves down uh, down some of the competitor spawns and it's going to force a lot of people to raise their game as a result yeah i i, I certainly uh, agree with that i mean it, it's it's interesting um when when a team like penske does that, it it kind of raises the bar for everybody and i guess everybody you know it, it, it's with any sport that can happen to uh i mean you you just hope it, it doesn't turn into a situation like mercedes where where the technology isn't necessarily on the same level playing field i don't think we have to worry about it as, as much in in the imsa next year but uh, you, you you just wonder about you know is Penske going to be dominate? Just going to be total domination of this of the series next year? I don't think so. I mean, it is still a new car, and that there are a lot of other good components. The Nissan team is mentioned. Mazda will be a lot better next year, and Cadillac, of course, is the defending champions now with a. Uh, three cars. Uh, the rest of the manufacturers only have two, so they do have one extra car compared to the rest of the field. Um, quite who Jordan Taylor will have as a teammate is kind of the next big question mark um, within that paddock in just terms of who's going to replace Ricky Taylor. The uh, the brothers have, uh, you know, they've they've done all that they've accomplished this year, and uh, Ricky is now off to Penske next year. So that's a, that's a big step in his career, and I think one that was born as early as February this year when he tested an IndyCar for them at uh, Homestead. 
Christina Nielsen wins the championship. Unfortunately, she loses her ride. Um, and then the same week, you know, the same week, Carmen Jordan, Jordan comes in and says, well, maybe we should have an all female, uh, F1 series. What was your, what's your opinions of where, where's Christina going to end up? You think? Um, Christina has, I think one, I've heard of at least one or two team options for her next year. She doesn't really know yet, but she wants to stay in GTD. She wants to have a chance to go for another championship, prove that her success wasn't down to just that team, Scuderia Corson and Alessandro Balzon. They've won the last two titles together. That team then won the title prior to that with uh, Townsend Bell and Bill Swedler a couple of years before. So they've actually won four of the last five championships. So um, I would expect her to, to know, hopefully within the next month, kind of what she's doing because with testing over the off season, you kind of already have to ramp up. Daytona's only three months off. It's crazy. IndyCar's had one month into its still, you know, off season, and it still has five more months before before they race. So there's there's a compressed timeline to get things done in IMSA uh, before Daytona kicks off. Yeah, and then the kind of the news kind of took everybody by surprise this weekend was uh, Brendan Hartley the, uh, running, uh, making his uh, F1 debut with the Toro Rosso in Austin coming up here. And I, I, I'm real excited about that. I, like I said, I, this kid really hit, I caught a lot of uh, us in the area here uh, when, when he won in uh, uh, at Road America a couple of years ago. He's, he's a really quick driver. He's uh, suggested to be the number two Ganassi driver next year and uh, kind, of, kind of a bright future. If he is hooked in with Ganassi, why, why is he running in Austin? A uh, complicated scenario that can be boiled down to Toro Rosso doesn't really have any other options because there's there's a limit on who you can pick for F1 seeds. They have to have a certain number of super license points, which Brendan Hartley has from being a WEC champion. Okay. The problem is he hasn't driven any recent F1 machinery. Like he's been in old Mercedes, but that was five years ago and he was dropped by Red Bull seven years ago. So why is he in? Uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. is off to Renault. So have his first drive with them next week. Uh, Pierre Gasly, who would have been in, is racing for Honda for their in a Japanese uh, open wheel series called Super Formula. He's less than a point off the championship lead there, so he's trying to get that. Honda would rather him win that championship. And then their third driver, Daniel Kafia, the, the Torpedo, uh, who's not exactly endeared himself to the paddock. He's kind of fallen out of favor, but is more a driver of necessity than by choice at this point. He's in, but they needed a fourth driver. So Hartley, which... You know, we sort of caught wind of earlier this week, and, you know, credit to my colleague Luke Smith, who was, you know, wanted to push it, but I think we were also, you know, careful that we were just kind of blinded by by the craziness of a guy that hasn't driven an open wheel in five years and, you know, is really only eligible by way of some some personal ties to Red Bull. And he's been outstanding in sports cars with Porsche. You know, he got picked up after that Road America win, but, uh yeah, it's, uh, it's very much an out-of-left-field choice, but one that is deserved. And I think as to what it does for 2018, suddenly if he has you know one race, does really well, gets two or three more this year, uh, which he could do, there's no conflicts. Maybe that throws the Ganassi thing into, into question. So mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden you've got a guy who went from sports car only to now the most coveted free agent, goofy-looking hilarious blonde hair, but super nice, super talented Kiwi who's all over the map. Yeah, I mean, uh, 
I, I'd love, I'm really interested. I mean, this is, and I kind of wish F1, you know, my theory is I always thought F1 should run a third car uh, a few times a year, let's say four times of the year, including the test driver's home race. So let's say Toro Rosso has an American driver. You know, Tony DeZeno is a uh, is test driver for Toro Rosso. So Tony, you'd run the uh, uh, Austin, and then like three other races. You know, let's say Monza, wherever, and then fill in, and then kind of have a even. So we'd have like twenty four cars, give or take one or two on the on the grid. Be nice. I, I mean, the, you have to account for the budgets for that. Right. Um, third, the third car thing. These, if F one's had it off and on before, um, as recently as I think two thousand five or six, was they they had a third car that ran in FP one. And kind of what they've done, they've they've carried that over to allow for certain drivers to bring budgets can be the third driver to run in that FP one session. We've seen that with. Uh, Charles Leclerc, among others, this year, uh, who've been in that spot. It'd be nice, and it'd be something to help car count, but uh, you also run the risk there where if every team has a third car or a selected number, then that takes points away from the smaller teams. Say if Ferrari or Mercedes or Red Bull had a third car, all of a sudden that's you know theoretically nine out of the top ten spots. So I, I like I like getting guys in on race weekends, but, you know, I I don't necessarily see a third car as the best way to do it, actually, in, in races themselves. Talking to Tony Zazino on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline from NBCSports.com. All right, let's. Penske announced a couple of drivers over the weekend for the, uh, I guess, the extended races. Uh, that, was just, that would include the 24 Hours of Daytona, 12 Hours of Sebring, and Petite. And uh, Graham Rahal is going to be one of the drivers. So I guess let, 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 let's run down the complete list here of the Penske prototype drivers where we're at now. Right. So we have six drivers, and one car will be Juan Pablo Montoya, Dane Cameron with Simon Pagano is its third driver, and then the second car will be Elio Castroneves, Ricky Taylor with Graham Rahal as its third driver. And I would say five of those six were expected. The Graham one was not, uh, but there's a couple of reasons for that. One, Rahal is an, an accurate dealer. You know, he's, he's got... Um, he's been involved with the NSX testing road car program before, and also he's spoken very highly about Penske over the years. The the thing that, that sticks out to me is when you consider the look at other Penske guys that would have been available, i.e. Joseph Newgarden or Will Power, neither one of them has a ton of sports car experience, and Graham has a lot of sports car experience, both in prototypes and in GT cars. So this means that Honda is basically saying, look, we value your development, we value your feedback, and we value your endurance and your reliability. Uh, Graham does not make a lot of mistakes, and in a lineup like that, he's not necessarily going to be the out-and-out fastest guy, but he's going to help bring it home in one piece. So you've got two guys with Castro Nevis and Ricky Taylor who are you know, known one-lap demons, and Graham is, is a very good third choice, um, albeit a surprising one given some of the other options they had in play. Right. And did did I hear this right? He did not even mention it to his dad until the the the, the night before. Yeah, yeah. apparently not. So <laughs> um, I think he said that on the teleconference this week, and it was uh, pretty interesting to to hear that. I think it was probably one of those. Hey, dad, I not a good week to be a dad of a young star. You know, Wayne Taylor loses Ricky Depensky, Bobby Rahal loses Graham Depensky, and they both have to to fill from from elsewhere for their IMSA programs. But you know, good on him. I think. I think that's every driver's dream is 
to get to that. And, you know, in Graham's case, he's kind of got the best of both worlds because, you know, if he impresses with Penske in a sports car program, maybe two, three years down the line, that opens up an IndyCar door for him at Penske. He's still mm-hmm. only 28, hard as that is to believe. And, you know, Will Powers in his mid-30s, you don't know how much longer he'll do it. You know, Pagano's same thing. You know, could this be a longer-term play from Graham's thing if he impresses enough? So uh, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of four forward thinking that'll come with uh, with this uh, uh, signing. Very interesting, as I say. Tony, can you hang on for a quick break here, and then we'll talk IndyCar when we come back. Yeah, sure. Schedule and the like. Excellent. Tony DeZeno talking to us in the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about IndyCar with Tony DeZeno from NBC Sports. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, Little Soggy this weekend, but the weather might break tomorrow. Make sure to check out their website if they are racing tomorrow, and they will be racing until the snow flies this year. And also our friends at David Hobbs Honda, 6100 North Green Bay Road. Make sure to check out the latest uh, for their choices in new and used cars in their inventory. And... Uh, Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, of course, is Tony DeZeno from NBC Sports, and we're switching to IndyCars now. Uh, the schedule was released for next year, and uh, I, I guess it's not a surprise, but an old friend has returned, hasn't it? Yep. Um, Portland International Raceway back on the calendar, probably a year ahead of schedule. I think they were more likely a 2019 ad, but the marriage of convenience comes together with Watkins going and IndyCar and able to come together on a date that worked for them. Uh, Labor Day didn't really work for either party. A bit of a shame. Um, and it's something where, you know, just as a fan, if, if you want to have both IndyCar and IMSA on the same weekend, you really only have two options for that Long Beach and Detroit. Well, IMSA runs at Watkins Glen on, on July 4th on Independence Day. But, or, but uh, you know, in this case, you know, that's not something they can accommodate. It's not anyone's fault. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. what series are on a certain dance card and for IndyCar's sake. And I think it was probably a little underwhelming with the turnout they've had the last two years. Portland is a track that uh, has a bit of a history. It has local support behind it, which is kind of important. Um, doesn't have a title sponsor yet. It was just announced as Grand Prix of Portland, but Mark Miles said that's something they're working on. Uh, it'll fall into the same Labor Day weekend. So um, as we've seen with kind of revived events, from IndyCar, it's been kind of hit or miss. Gateway was huge, but that's because they had a big title sponsor activating. Watkins Glen's now off. Phoenix has been kind of dodgy, but of course we've seen what's happened at Road America. That's been a, a hit and a half. So I think Portland will fall probably in the middle of those, of those just when you look at it. Um, it's a market that's been underserved really by all forms of, of racing for about a decade. You know, NASCAR doesn't really have anything up there. There's no sports car races. So um, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but um Mexico is also still a possibility, but it seems like because they want to make things happen, they want to run it in early August, which would be would be nuts. But uh, that'd be really hot, you wouldn't know, it? It'd be really hot. So, um, or we'll can, we'll could they run it as a night race? Added. No, they couldn't run it as a night race. Um, I mean, you could run part of it. I mean, part of it runs through a stadium, but I mean, I don't, I don't 
really think they would have the infrastructure for that. Yeah, they would. They'd be up against it. I know they've they've had some late afternoon races there in the past. Uh, certainly, you have to you get flood lighting or other other sort of temporary lighting into to help the circumstances uh, if that were the case. You know, a uh, silly season, of course. You know, drivers switching back and forth. Tony Kanai going to uh, AJ Foyt Racing. There's been other movements and whatnot. But more important, this is kind of the behind the scenes, this is, which in, in in many ways can be just important as to drivers are the engineers. And uh, you have a nice write up in uh, in that that you wrote up earlier on, on the engineers and in, in, in the movement. Kind of kind of walk the 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 listeners uh, how how that goes about. Right. So no different than in NASCAR where you've got a good driver crew chief relationship. It's very similar to have an IndyCar and uh, guys click either in their first year together. This year's champion, Joseph Newgarden, had a new engineer in uh, Brian Campy. Um, Alexander Rossi was really good as a rookie, but he was even better this year with another new engineer and Joseph's old engineer, Jeremy Millis. So there's how the guys mesh together is is going to be very interesting and especially with a new car so the more i thought about it the more i was like well we've already hit all the driver components or most of them but the engineering side there's there's a lot of changes so felio castroneva has gone to sports cars his engineer is going with him uh so he's not staying in indycar except for the two races he comes back then at schmidt peterson where Official announcement probably forthcoming next week about uh, James Hinchcliffe's re-signing. He's wanted Robert Wickens alongside. If it happens, great. It looks like it will. Um, but Hinchcliffe's unfortunately been something of an engineer killer. Through no, I don't know if it's through any fault of his own or just circumstances. But you know the guy said Craig Hampson and who did mm-hmm. some success with Sebastian Bourdais and he's had Nathan O'Rourke, Tino Belli. Now he's had Alan McDonald. Alan is now gone to uh, Carpenter Racing where he'll work with Spencer Piggott. Uh, Spencer's a guy that I think is kind of the early contender to make a big leap forward in performance based on uh, testing that he's been able to do. He tested at Road America last week, which was their their first time working together. Ganassi has a lot of engineering changes with two cars uh, going away. That moves two or three of its guys off. Eric Cowden goes with Canon to Foyt. Um, who does Sato get his engineer? Does his guy from Andretti State go with him, or does he, you know, Ray Hall rely on their strength and depth that they have? So, uh, just as just as much as the driver movement is seeing the guys that are the primary uh, engineers for for the drivers. So it's a it's an interesting component. Uh, there's probably I would say 50% turnover uh, in terms of driver team and or team engineer combinations. Have I, have I missed anything? In terms of IndyCar, I think I think we're huh. much touched everything. Yeah, I mean it's uh, kind of waiting for I think four or five things to fall through. the uh, The Hartley thing is now kind of the next big question mark because depending on how his F1 deal goes and if Toro Rosso pries him away from uh, from his projected IndyCar seat, well then suddenly that opens up a primo seat that's been earmarked for him. So and that would be interesting. Know, there's, there's plenty of guys. There's plenty of guys, plenty of young drivers, you know, R.C. Enerson, who we've talked about before, Connor Daly, Carlos Munoz, Sage Karam, Matthew Brabham on down the line. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's there's a good core. You know, what does Kyle Kaiser do? You know, the Indy Lights champion. You know, I think people are kind of expecting he'll jump up with Yunkos, but that's not necessarily set in stone either. You know, he could be a really good fit at Ed Carpenter's team in the road course races. So, um 
still a bit to play out. It's gone a bit quiet uh, on the home front, um, but we'll see what happens over the, the coming weeks. I think after the Sonoma season finale, everyone's kind of packed up shop and, uh, you know, they'll get back into prep work for the next uh, next little bit of time of testing. Well, the good news is that it's only 147 days to the IndyCar opener. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Goes by like clockwork. <laughs> Tony, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's always a pleasure, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you in the next uh, few weeks here as the season closes down. Oh, before right. we go, though, uh, we need to uh, uh, get your prediction for Talladega. Oh, boy. Um, it's like picking a needle in a haystack, just which one doesn't apply. Yeah, just kind of close your eyes and just point at the paper. It's the last time I'm going to have the chance to pick Dale Jr. at Talladega, and what better storyline could NASCAR ask for, uh, considering they've not had a, a run of great news or great ratings lately. So, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna Dale Jr. I like it. Very good, Tony. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, make sure you check out all his stuff at NBCSports.com, and uh, make sure to check out the motor section at the drop-down menu. Tony, thank you. Appreciate for for joining the show. Cool. Take care, guys. Thanks. Thank you. That was Tony DeZeno joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. When we come back, we'll have our predictions, and we'll also hear from Matt Kenseth, who was talking to the uh, press corps down at Talladega yesterday. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zaki, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Hey, welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. Fun show uh, this this week, uh, Jeff Orlowski. Appreciate you uh, joining me. Love it. Love it. Great show, Steve. Talladega. That was one of the more fun and entertaining races of the year. Predictions. Uh, what says you? I'm going to go. I'll put the kiss of death on my guy and go with the number four of Harvick for the win. I'm going to go with the two-car Brad Kasowski. He's been running strong. I think it's going to be a Ford. Ford is... Is if you if you haven't been paying attention to Ford is the car to be at Talladega last uh, five or six races, so I will go. Uh, it's too easy to say uh, Ricky Stenhouse. I'll go Brad Keselowski. And who who do we have? Uh, what are others? Uh, Lori, she took Stenhouse. Dennis took Blaney, and Tony took Dale Junior. Good Dale luck with Jim. that, Tone. Oh come on, it's a, it's a feel good pick. Yeah, feel good, feel come good. Come on, it, would, it would be it would be NASCAR if he would win it. Well, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, no, it doesn't. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Uh, check your tweets. Uh, five. Well, five thirty tomorrow after he wins, and uh, Tony's giving giving you the business <laughs> for that one. Wouldn't be the first time. And of course, I'd like to uh, say thanks to Tony to uh, Tony Dezino for joining us uh, on the show this week, along with uh, Lori Monroe and Dennis Michelson for their take in the NASCAR world. Uh, let's listen to some Matt Kenseth. Always entertaining, and uh, hopefully this won't be his last year here of uh, hearing his, his press conferences. But yeah, here is Matt Kenseth of the twenty Toyota Camry. Matt, can you tell me how you and the t- number twenty team uh, feel heading into the final Super Speedway race of the season? How we feel? How I you feel? Great. Feel great. You want more than that? Yeah. Um, more. Yeah, I mean, I feel as good as you can ever feel going to Talladega. You never know what's really gonna really going to happen here so um you know the way everybody kind of practices today and gets ready to qualify and all that you never really know how much speed you have until the the race gets started and you get racing with everybody so it's kind of looking forward to getting through the next two days and get racing sunday 
Great. With that, we'll open up for questions. Uh, we'll start on the left to Kelly, uh, then to Jordan, Bob, and Mike. KellyCrandallRacer.com. Matt, during the broadcast last week in Charlotte, it was said that, that Jason had mentioned how the longer you guys go into the season without winning, it starts, it's been starting to weigh on the team's confidence. Um, is there anything to that? What has your mindset been the longer this year has gone on and you haven't been able to get to victory lane? Yeah, I don't know that it necessarily weighs on everybody's confidence um, you know, that much. But with that being said, certainly – uh, it's been a long time, way too long since we've won a race, especially considering the equipment we're in and all that. So um, it sure would be a boost to uh, everybody's confidence if you could, you know, get that win, get everything to go right and, you know, execute and finish it off and get to victory lane. It always uh, always boosts your confidence, I think, no matter, you know, where you are or how long it's been since you've won. We'll go to Jordan, Bob, Mike, and Claire. Nation. Matt, uh, relating to Jimmy Johnson last week at Charlotte, did you know and did your team know that you can tighten lug nuts outside your pit box? And what do you think of the fact that not all teams know the rules going forward? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have much of an opinion on it because I really don't know a lot about it. I haven't really even asked Jason about it. And honestly, the conversation with Jason and I didn't really come up this week. So um, I – I couldn't give you an honest answer whether he knew that you could do that or not. Bob, go ahead. Bob Parker, CSPN. Have you had any productive talks about next year with anybody in the last few weeks? And does your future weigh on you maybe more now than when you knew you than like a f few months ago? Uh, no, it probably weighs on me way less today than it did, you know, probably a few months ago. Um, had some real productive talks with uh, with Katie. We were on a run another day. We had a real long productive talk together. That was um, that was enjoyable. It's, it's true. We did. We talked about it a lot. We'll go to. Yeah, uh, you got to raise your hand a little higher. A little higher. There you go. All right. <laughs> we'll we'll go. You look good today, Bob. You look good today. Go by ahead, the way. Jenna. Confident. I like it. Jenna, go ahead. Oh, it's over your shoulder. All right, Mike. Claire, Jerry, and then we'll go to Jenna. I am. Slow news uh, day. <laughs> which you can help. Uh, Mike Hembry, USA Today. Uh, knowing this potentially could be your last race here, do you have kind of a sense of melancholy going into the weekend and racing at Talladega for maybe the last time, enjoyment level, et cetera? Nah, I mean, I think except for the very first time you come here, every time you come here you think it possibly could be your last race here. So I don't um, – <laughs> really feel any different today than <laughs> any other time except the first time I came here. Claire, go ahead. I don't know if I can follow that up. <laughs> Lang, Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Ryan Blaney said that this race would be more aggressive because of the points racing, but you race hard every single race, and it's hard for me to imagine that Talladega could be more aggressive. When you hear that from another driver, what do you think about what might play out? Uh, I just think there'll be more cars in the crash. Um, you know, typically, um, I don't know if it'll be more aggressive. I think what he's most likely saying is that last year at this race, there was some strategy played for some, you know, I was one of the cars that, you know, got together that we needed not a disaster to make the next round. We needed a, I don't know, I don't remember anymore, 20th place finish or something like that. So you try to kind of hang out in the back, just make sure you don't lose the draft in case there is any wrecks, you're not in it, and then get to where you need to be at the end of the race. So I think with the stages and being at the second race of the round, and all that, um, I think, you know, probably 
you know, what he's saying is that you're going to race for position every single lap of every race, you know, with the stages and the points you're going to need to try to transfer to the next round. Jerry, go ahead on the left. Jerry Jordan, kicking tires on NPR, and that was along those lines. Was how how would this the extra points? You know, how would you guys battle out for the extra points in the stages? And you know, where where at what point during the race and in in those two? Oh, hold on a second, Mike's got a call. Oh. <laughs> you need to be quiet so you can hear him, or you got it. Okay, go ahead. He can't hear me anyway. Okay. So how at what point during funny. the stages do you do you actually try to turn it up and, and get a, as aggressive or whatever you, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, I mean I think you try to keep that track position the whole time if possible. I mean I've been you know fortunate um, a few times had some pretty fast cars here where you could kind of control the the flow and the pace of the race and, and it was hard to get shuffled out and that type of thing. So I think you hope for that kind of speed and then you hope to make the right decisions and and try to stay there the whole time. I, you know it's harder to go from the back to the front than what it used to be especially if everybody's you know if nobody's on to kind of hang out and hope there's a wreck strategy and you're not in it um it's harder to get back through the front because it just gets side by side and plugged up and there's not a lot of places to go so i think you try to um you try to race hard to keep that track position the whole race if you can jenna and then we'll go to bob and then we'll go back to mike jennifer ap matt i have two questions for you those productive conversations you've had with katie um got a lot of mouths to feed at home what is it that you're looking for (laughs) this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 